This is the Horse Radio Network. Being straight in the saddle is harder than it sounds. This week, we'll share tips on how not to be crooked, thanks to the German riding instructor. We're also talking to a hunter rider who has made it his mission to rescue as many adorable abandoned mini ponies as he humanly can. And make sure you stay tuned until the end of the episode because we've got a huge surprise for you. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 53 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey guys. Hi. How's it going? Good. I'm nice getting the toasty. heat now. I was yeah. going to say, you got to be hot. Yeah, it's going to be 91 on Thursday. So I feel like that's the same temperature as Justine and I. Oh, God, that's unbearable. Nice and oh. wet and gross. But just yeah. how's that going with um, Doug and everybody in Aiken preparing for the Pan Ams? Like they're getting prepped for the heat, I guess. Yeah, getting prepped for the heat. Well, it's actually because it's winter down there, but it's a mm. halfway point between uh, Pennsylvania and Miami. All the ponies will fly out of Miami. So they are doing training sessions at Stable U, but that place is like 10 degrees colder than everywhere in Aiken because they have that breeze on top of the mountain and they have that beautiful covered arena. So, um, they're not too shabby over those parts. Nice. So this episode is brought to you by arena saddles, uh, which if you guys already tuned into that episode, I talked all about arena saddles because I just got one and I'm really obsessed with how beautifully styled and all the attention to detail this company puts into every single saddle saddle they make. Um, it's incredibly comfortable. It's beautiful. It's comfortable. It makes me feel confident in the saddle. So if you want to find out more information about arena saddles, uh, which they make all purpose jumping and dressage saddles, you can go to arena saddles.com. Our drink this week is from Kayla in our Facebook group that if you guys haven't joined, you totally should. Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And she calls this an after horse show drink. So it's basically spiced rum and lemonade in a glass with some molten watermelon and a dash of salt. The molten means that you soak the watermelon in rum. So it's a whole lot of rum. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's like an old trick from college that we used to do, you know, like you soaked um, fruit in alcohol and then you would basically eat slash drink it later at like as a at a barbecue or at a tailgate thing. But this sounds like a more adult version and that you turn it into an actual cocktail. Yeah, I agree. It made me think of soaked gummy bears and those are terrible. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever thought that was a good idea was... Yikes. Yep. Well, so unfortunately, guys, I have some depressing news this week. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So the FEI board has announced its um, desire to remove reining as an FEI discipline. Um, so this is super sad for me um, just because I will totally miss seeing rainers at WEG. Um, but so basically... When you get into it, like in a contract with FEI, FEI wants to be the sole authority for international events. And the issue is that the NRHA, which, 
was already established before reining was accepted as an FEI discipline. And they already host quite a lot of international reining events. Um, so FEI saw that it was just kind of not worth it for them to um, support the discipline, considering that the NRHA already has more members and hosts international events. Um, so that'll be really sad for me. But luckily, That's- it doesn't mean raining's going away. No, but that's sad. We had so much fun watching it. We went to, we were at Tryon for the Wigs and we went to the raining portion of it and it was so much fun to watch. So it will be sad to see, not see them there. Ellie, do you have any idea like how, you know, how is the raining community taking this news? Are they upset by it or they're like, meh, we're, we're happy doing our own thing or what well, comes next? So um, I don't think it'll have much of an impact to be completely honest. Um, just because NRHA is already, um, like the preferred organization by most competitors. Um, I think there's, I think the article even says there's like 14,000 ish, um, more members in the NRHA than the FEI. Um, yeah. And the NRHA, I mean, it's pretty strong. Like I went, um, to the, fraturity in Oklahoma a couple years ago. And I mean, there were riders from all over the world competing. I mean, for big money and I mean, lots of really nice horses. I mean, classes were like 300 strong. It was insane. So I can't imagine being a judge watching a pattern that many times, but it was actually for a judging competition. And I only watched 20 and I got, I was like, Oh my God, all these horses are so nice. How do you like, but anyway, so I don't think it'll have a huge impact, um, but I'm, it's still sad to not be included in WEG. I think that that'll be hard for us. Yeah, exactly. Well, in totally different news, I have, have you guys seen this gypsy cob that it takes 10 hours, up to 10 hours to watch its mane and tail and plait it, like and braid it, what we say over here. This thing is unbelievable. It is the, it's beautiful, but its tail drags like five feet behind it. I feel like what have you seen the picture? Oh yeah. I'm going to have to send you guys these pictures and we'll post it for all you guys that are listening because it's a black and white paint, but its mane and tail are touching the ground. The tail is like flowing behind. So the girl that owns it has to braid it and put it up every day because it was like dragging, obviously like if it went and stepped back so that a tail lives like basically braided at the Hawks. And then she braids the mane all the way down and then like braids it into like different sections and stuff. But it is unbelievable. And it takes her up to, could you imagine 10 hours of just braiding it? I would just die. I feel so, like I would roach it before I would spend 10 hours doing that. <laughs> but oh she's my gosh. now like, she has this whole following, like everybody loves it. And she said she went out riding once and it, they came across the thoroughbred and the thoroughbred almost jumped in the ditch because it was so terrified of its man and tail. Cause it's like flowing like locks. Oh my goodness. I'm sure it's uh, like it, the photos are beautiful and I'm sure the photos don't even do it justice, but it does remind me of when I did, the college mascot program, you know, the horse we had was right. half, a half Andalusian and we, you know, we wanted him to have the big flowing, beautiful mane when he was at the football games. And so we used to have to keep it braided 
and condition it all the time. You know what I mean? And then that took a ton of work just to kind of keep that one going. And that's nowhere near the level of this horse and them having like PTSD flashbacks from college. <laughs> it's beautiful though. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it is a lot of work. People who do that. I mean, like it, more credit to them. Cause that is a ton of work. I know. I mean, it's the same thing for like Rainer's mains, right? But oh, that's I mean, true. I mean, the longest I've seen a Rainer's mane is like right above the knee. But even that, I can't imagine. I'm like, okay, it covers most of your neck. That's good enough. Like I'm, yeah. I'm just like, I'm gonna snip the edges. I'm terrible. This one, they say that its mane and tail just does not stop growing. It's pretty incredible. That's nice. And speaking of incredible, you have Justina Science weird one, of course. Yeah, so there was this story in the Chronicle of the Horse this week that I just thought was the coolest medical mystery story I've read in a long time. It's about a, um, a show jumper that showed in the high adult jumpers for a while named Chanel B. Uh, and it sounds like she's a pretty well-known horse down on the left circuit. She's owned by Karen Long Dwight, but Tori Colvin rode her um, to an individual bronze at the Young Riders Championships. So she's, you know, she's a very competitive horse. She's been, you know, been around the jumpers for a while, but I guess she developed this mass in her jaw and her bottom jaw. And it was just this hard lump that didn't seem to bother her. So they just kind of kept an eye on it, but it kept getting bigger and bigger to the point that um, the poor mare's like lower teeth started being pushed out of alignment. Mm. Uh, yeah, so they were pretty nervous about this at that time, and they call her Nellie around the barn. So they did a radiograph, and it revealed that she had a tumor actually in her jaw. So uh, what the vets did uh, down in Florida is um, they actually removed part of her bottom jaw in order to uh, to save her to get rid of that lump. And it's uh, the photos in the story are just like unbelievable. When you look at them, you're just like, what? Um, so now she recovered great, even though, you know, the owners were super worried that they thought they might have to put her down after all this, but she recovered great. And so she shows now and it actually, you would, you kind of almost would never know, but she's basically like, doesn't have a chin. She has no bottom teeth anymore. They had to remove that much of her lower jaw but, you know, they still ride her in a bit. They say she's still able to graze. Uh, she just, it's funny how adaptable animals are, but she recovered great and um, she's back in the show ring and she just basically competes without no bottom teeth and no no chin and a much shorter, lower jaw than, than any other horse. Um, but it's pretty cool. But she doesn't seem to care. It's pretty awesome. I know. She seems like the perfect candidate for, you know, like having a, injury or a surgery like that that she just kind of goes whatever you know like she's yeah. <laughs> back to being her herself because i know not all not all of the horses we own are that easygoing with the big change like that yeah but it's pretty cool there are, are a thousand and one reasons why us riders leave our trainers and usually it's um dramatic it's emotional you know the relationship you have with your trainer is special and usually one of a kind but for whatever reason, there are times where it's just necessary that you have to leave and go on to greener pastures. We're going to be discussing the reasons why riders leave their trainers in the brief uh, starting the week of July 22nd. So if you want to uh, take part of that conversation, you sub should subscribe to the brief, which is our daily email newsletter by going to bit.ly slash HD brief. 
All right, guys. So I know we've talked about ice horse boots and just uh, generally cold therapy practices in the past, but I just got a pair of ice horses suspensory wraps and I wanted to tell you a little bit more about them. Uh, Ellie or Jess, have you guys ever had a horse with a suspensory injury? Yes. Had to, had to rehab it? Mm-hmm. I leased one for like, oh gosh, probably four or five years. And he was an old Hanoverian and he had them all the time. Like it just would, once it happens, it's so hard, like spraining an ankle, you know? Right, right, exactly. So um, luckily, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all the, you know, right juju moments. My horse does not have an injury, but these, I really like these wraps even for everyday use. Some people may know them if you're an ice horse fan. They used to call them the Evandura wrap. And it provides coverage from just below the knee along the entire cannon, the pastern, and fetlock areas, and rests on the coronet band. And so it basically covers the entire length of the suspensory ligament. And just like the regular ice horse boots, they use these really great um, cold inserts that, you know, you shove them in the freezer, but they're when you pull them out, they're soft and fluffy, almost like snow on the inside you know they don't freeze like a hard block um so they're really easy to kind of crunch up and get nice and soft and movable before you add them to the wrap and so they they kind of mold right to your horse's leg very easily uh they have velcro inserts that just kind of fit very naturally into the wrap uh the best part about the cold inserts is they're reusable and they they kind of live up until they're about 50 uses, so 50 times freezing them and thawing them before you have to buy new ones. And I think what I like most about it, because with horses who've had injuries like this in the past, at least in my lifetime, is we've always put them in the big, you know, the big rubber ice boots where you had to fill with actual physical ice. And while those work great and there's nothing wrong with them, they're just so messy, right? You know, there's water everywhere. There's ice everywhere. It makes a mess on the, um, on the cross tiles and the, on, in the barn aisle. Um, and the best thing about these cold inserts from ice horse is that, uh, they kind of do all the work for you without having to make a big mess. Um, so I really like them. I definitely would recommend them if someone, you know, is looking at rehabbing a horse with a suspensory injury and you're, Looking at your options, I think they do the job just as well as, you know, icing them in a, in a big bucket. If you want to learn more uh, you know, about Ice Horse products, you can go to their website, which is icehorse.net. So I'm really excited to announce our next guest, Josh Dolan. He is a very good friend of ours, and he actually started the whole Peeps Foundation. He's a professional rider from Hilton Head, South Carolina, And he is a rider and trainer at Mad Season LLC, where he primarily competes in the hunter rings. He has achieved a wide variety of success as a rider. As a junior rider, he was accomplished equitation rider acquiring the USET Talent Search Bronze Medal for winning 20 classes. Josh is the founder of the Peeps Foundation, a 501c nonprofit organization dedicated to rescuing and rehoming miniature horses. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited you're on and get to talk about this because Josh actually let me come with Hudson to the Peeps Foundation in Kentucky. Josh actually didn't even know I had a son when he saw a head <laughs> like a year and a half. <laughs> he yeah, walks up and goes, exactly. you have a baby? Whose <laughs> <laughs> baby is that? I was like, and that's he was like fine. A real, he wasn't even like a newborn. It was like a real thing. 
No, he could, he could do everything. So uh, Josh was so nice. He let us come over. They were actually about to leave. I think we were going to Africa at the time. And yeah, we, yeah, yeah. it was so fun. So we got to go. Doug, Hudson, and myself went and saw it. And Hudson loved all the little animals. I have the cutest pictures for everybody from there because we saw little miniature cows and miniature horses and all the little animals running around. He was like in heaven running up and down. So it was the cutest <laughs> thing. So it was, it was so nice of you, but we loved it. So it really is like paradise here every day. I have to say it's pretty, pretty awesome to call this home. Yeah. Your place in Kentucky is beautiful. We had so much fun there and we're so thankful that you let us do it. So I feel like it was a privilege. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And we hope to have you back, you know, soon. We will. This year, whenever you're back in Kentucky. I know. Next time we'll come knocking on the doors for sure. So, but tell I us love a little it. bit. And I have a new farm too, actually, that you're going to really, we got it like twice as big as my old farm. And no so way. Like twice as many animals. Oh yeah. I, we actually, I just closed on it and um, it's, 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 it's literally like paradise. I mean, it's maybe two miles from the horse park. Uh, it has its own mini barn. It matches a house, it has a lake, it has an indoor, uh, another house on the property for staff. And the fields are just, they're amazing. They just roll forever. And the lake, for all my retired horses, is uh, kind of in the center of like the giant paddock at the back of it. And it's, uh, it's really special. Oh, it sounds like heaven. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's how really did cool. you, how did you get started with the Peeps Foundation? So it was really kind of like a fluke thing. You know, I, um, when I was growing up, I did not really come from like horse people. Uh, my parents only kind of were in the horses because I was like one of those kids who was just obsessed with them. Like I grew up in a plantation on Hilton Head that had a stable um, by the back gate. And my mom said when I was like a little kid, I would constantly like ask to go by and pet the horses. So they like did a little birthday party when I was like four years old and it just never stopped. And kind of one thing led to another. And then eventually after like years of like begging my parents, they decided, okay, maybe we should buy a farm because I was, you know, had a few horses at the time and I was riding with the towels. And so my parents bought me a farm in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we were there for quite a while. And um, I didn't keep really my show horses there. They still stay with the towels, but um, that was kind of like where I don't want to say I really kind of got into rescue, but I acquired a lot of animals that really needed help. And um, just because it was the right thing to do. So, um, you know, one thing led to another, and then my parents ended up selling the farm. And um, fast forward a couple of years later, I was in Kentucky showing and uh, Derek Braun before his horse shows were like, you know, the big split rock shows he used to have. They were like smaller kind of schooling shows. And I had just gotten these two new horses in. So my older brother's in town from, in town from LA and we were going to go over and I was going to school my new horses at a different show or a different venue. And um, on his road, there was like a field that once was a farm with many horses and we passed it and my older brother was like, Oh my gosh, we have to go there when we're done. So anyway, showed my horses, got in the car, uh, we pulled in and we couldn't really see anything. So we went down the neighbor's driveway and then we like really realized that it was like a, not a good situation. And actually the very first movie I saw was actually Peeps and her mom. And the guy had kind of like 40, I'd say about 40 acres and, Anyone knows Kentucky, like, I mean, the grass is amazing here. There was not one blade of grass on the property. 
it was overgrown with weeds, probably like six or eight feet tall. There was three, we jumped the fence. There was three dead ones in the back paddock. Oh. They had no water. It was, it was horrific. So we called the police uh, and animal control and um, it was not really, I guess it wasn't panning out the way I thought it was. So the police did come and they did a report, but then they realized it was in the wrong jurisdiction. So they turned it over to the neighboring county, which is Bourbon County. And um, they said it was a state investigation, blah, blah, blah. So three days later, uh, we came back to check on it and two more were dead in the field. So we, yeah, it was really, really bad. So I didn't know what to do. Uh, I left a note. I wrote a note. I left it in the gate and there was nobody. It did not appear that anybody was living there, but I left the note in the gate before I was going to come back the next day and really try to make something happen. And the guy called me that night and he said, uh, he would sell me his miniature horses really cheap. So I told Alex, I told my brother, we got in the trailer the next morning and we went over there and we bought, I think it was 21 the first day. Um, wow. And then some, yeah, we, I think we purchased 10 and then he gave us like 11. Like if you could catch them, you can have them. So we tried to get, you know, all the stallions so we could build them. And uh, so we got that. And then the horse show world was like amazing. There was a horse show going on. And so people heard about it. So there's a few people that reached out like, hey, we're willing to help. So by that time, I would say probably 12 within three or four days had already gone to new homes. So then we went back and got more from him. And in total, we got 46 from his farm. Wow. And um, yeah, one of those was Peeps from the original rescue. And then um, it really started when the, uh, we had an article done with a magazine and we had a lot of people reach out to us about it. And then the whole dwarf thing, because Peeps is a dwarf, uh, we got contacted by a few people who have dwarves and, you know, we, we just kind of stayed in touch. And then they, I think those people kind of realized what we were capable of doing in our world with, you know, the vets and farriers we work with. And that's kind of when we all were like, okay, this is probably something we really could help a lot of animals with. Kind of with the idea of just, you know, rescuing and rehoming, not really thinking we would get big enough to have, you know, multiple chapters and have like a sanctuary and really be able to specialize in the doors that, you know, need a lot of help and corrective shoeing. Um, but it all just kind of happened that way. And now to date, we've rescued and rehomed over 500. And um, we have, I think, about 32 permanent dwarf residents here and then probably another 10 or 12 older, like kind of ancient minis that are kind of our permanent residents and then a mix of all the ones we have available. So I think actually right now, I think we have about 70 or so at, the, at our farm. That's amazing. And I know you um, you split your time, because it's not just yep. to the farm in Kentucky, right? Because I remember we wrote a story on Hillstown Magazine about yes. you as well, and you were in Wellington at the time. Correct, yeah. And that's what, we, we still do the same thing. Um, you know, I think this year it'll be a little different. We won't go six months and six months. I think it'll be more like four and, um, you know, eight here. Because our farm is larger, uh, we don't have to travel with so many of the special needs ones, because a lot of our dwarves, um, you know, they all, so many of them wear shoes and it's so labor intensive. You can't leave them, you know, with just normal care behind. So we had to travel with a lot of them. So we still are splitting our time, but this winter will probably be a little lighter. We'll probably take probably between 15 and 20 minis to Florida. Like last year we had 
think like 30 or 40. <laughs> so it'll be a little bit of a, an, I think an easier time for everybody being able to, you know, have a bigger farm and support more here full time. We're able to focus a little bit more on the ones that like really need our you know, attention and then obviously our show horses. So since you started the Peeps Foundation, uh, one, I'm a huge fan of your Instagram because mm-hmm. it's not Thank just the, the adorable minis, but you have some other animals. But I know there are a lot of, you know, well-known riders from like Kaylee Kuko to Jen Gates who have adopted minis from you, right? Yeah, a lot of big time people. Um, Bin Mare adopted one from us. Jen Gates has, yeah, adopted one from Jesse Springsteen. Actually, adopted two from us for her mom as a Christmas present. Oh, that's um, so cute. <laughs> the Sheik of, gosh, I don't remember. Maybe it's Qatar. He adopted two from us, and they flew to Qatar. They actually fly back and forth from Qatar. They farm in England and his farm in Lexington. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. There's some. There's some really big time minis that we've uh, we've placed. It's really cool that we're able to, you know kind of be connected all through you know really the horse world um and uh some of these guys have really landed in some amazing homes and then you have other animals too it's not just like you were talking about other organizations we were there you have llamas and cows and what else do you have so yeah we have um you know it's funny because it kind of started like just you know not really turning out to be a rescue obviously i love animals love to help animals but you know, it wasn't like we set out one day and like, okay, we're starting a nonprofit. Um, and when we did, it was really just geared towards the rescue and rehoming of the minis. And now it's in the sanctuary chapter. And now it's becoming more than that because we're rescuing more animals. Like currently we have three mini dwarf cows. Um, one came from a really sad situation. Uh, we have three animals who are actually being bottle fed. They were recent rescues. And we have four goats, all were rescues. Either the mothers uh, abandoned them, uh, one died. So we have bought off of them since they were just days old. And then we have a, a kangaroo who's joined our rescue. He actually is, he has one hand and was sold at an exotic animal sale to a canned hunt in Mexico. And I, we intercepted him. It's a crazy kind of situation, kind of through a vet friend of mine who was at the sale and called me and was like, there's just something about this guy. Like, I really, really hate to see this happen. Is there any way you can step in? So we got in contact with the people. And then when I left Florida, I had my older brother who flew and helped me do the trip. So in my activity, I had two dogs, one goat, and the kangaroo. When we oh intercepted in Atlanta. <laughs> it was like a wild, it was a wild ride, that's for sure. <laughs> and did you end up get? Did you get the giraffe you were talking about getting, or no? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the giraffe so, has happened, but because I have a new farm, the giraffe barn is not built. So it's actually going to attach to the back of my indoor, and oh my then gosh. my outdoor ring is going to be right next to the giraffe paddock. So <laughs> I think it'll be a very good experience for all of our horses to um, not that I like, haven't seen anything in the entire world. But I think when you ride that, you know, in your arena. I think they can handle anything when they go to the horse show. That's the one Doug's going to want to see. He is like dying to see. He's like, if there's, <laughs> I want to go see a giraffe. If there's really going to be a giraffe, he's like, I want to go back. It'll. Pro- I'm sure the giraffe will like him the best. It's tall enough that the right. Enough <laughs> and your ginger, they will like get along. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm really about excited your- about that. 
Speaking about your riding horses, how do you balance your hunter riding and your riding business with your foundation? It goes on. I seem to be showing less and less. You know, I um, I really love nice horses and I, I love the process of like finding them and I love showing, but, um, you know, I've always kind of been into you know, buying them in Europe and showing them some and selling them. And it's just really evolved to now I, I barely show them before they're sold. So right now I have um, two that are going and one that's getting ready to start. Um, but I have only showed the new one. Maybe I think I showed him one time in Tryon and he already has two people flying in to try him. So it seems to really balance itself out because they get sold so quickly. You know, it's not like a huge commitment, you know, trying to plan their show careers and all that. I mean, I don't really have a lot of like personal goals or anything in the sport. So I kind of just, you know, take it show by show. And if I feel like going this place and if I have the horses to do it, I do go there. Um, and it, it, so far it just seems to be working out. I feel like that's such a great mentality to have and to hear from, you know, you've got all this going on with helping so many horses and, you know, you're still doing what you love. So Josh, if someone wants to get involved, if someone wants to adopt uh, or wants to see where they can adopt, maybe like a list of horses that you have available for adoption or if they want to donate or if they want to get involved and volunteer, where should they go? So our website is uh, called thepeatfoundation.org, and uh, we have it's actually getting completely redone. Um, it should be done completely by next week, and we have some information on there already that could should answer some of those questions. But you can always just shoot us an email, and I actually get the email from my phone too. Um, so more than likely, um, no matter who reads them, I will get them at some point as well. Uh, the adoption thing, you know, that's a probably one of the most popular questions we get. Our, you know, our foundation is fairly popular on Instagram and a lot of social media stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to understand because they do put in applications and, you know, a lot of people don't understand why they, you know, don't get an email about uh, ones that are available or so forth. Cause our system's a little bit different. Um, we have probably 300 and something approved applications currently waiting to adopt. Wow. Money. It's yeah. So it's, it's a lot of people don't realize that just the the sheer volume we have of of people ready. Um, but what we do is because in the past, you know, we used to go through each application and, you know, approve you, not approve you, send you an email and tell you that. Uh, but what we've been doing is we've been trying to, we, we are implementing a new system, but the last, let's say 75 applications we have before this, are all getting personal emails saying, okay, yes, here's what's available. Here's not what's available, but that's quickly ending. And what we're going to do now is we're going to post available minis and every application that's submitted has a number to us. So when you see a mini that you really like, you email us and then with your reference, some of your application, then we go through the application because, you know, so many times we were going through, you know, 50 a day and then when we approve somebody simply makes that available we never heard from them again and it's really a time-consuming thing and you know we really do it ourselves you know at the end of the day i'm finished writing you know my list alex is finished writing his list i mean we were in the barn till 8 30 last night doing you know mini shoes on four different minis that needed new shoes and then 
you know, you go inside and then I'm trying to sort through a hundred emails. So it, it's a, it was a time consuming process to, you know, go through the entire list of applications and then approve or not approve. So we're going to see if this system works a little bit better, putting the minis out there that are available. And then you tell us your reference number to your application and then we'll approve you or not approve you. So again, that website is the peeps or peepsfoundation.org. Peeps is P-E-E-P-S foundation.org. That's it. Josh. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely, guys. I'm happy, happy to help. And thank you so much for, you know, choosing me and the foundation to spread a little light on. We could, you know, the more our, our ultimate goal is, you know, to be able to help any animal in need. So the bigger our foundation can get, you know, the, the more likely we can make that happen. Excellent. EIS shirts are designed for energetic people in need of high-performance sun protection. EIS stands for Energetic Innovation and Style. These shirts are amazing, guys. And if you haven't checked them out, you totally should. They're stylish, and they keep you super cool and protect you from harmful UV rays. Uh, They have a new website now and new colors and styles. So check out their new stuff at eis hyphen where.com. So, uh, guys, I went to a German riding instructor show jumping clinic and I survived. And it, and, and you were perfect. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, good. I had, you I, were so I, terrified about it. And you I really so was. I was. I, I feel silly that I was so nervous because I had such a good time. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot. So I, I was hoping we could spend some time of I could like kind of share what I learned uh, from Ronnie, uh, who we've had on the show before, because I just, you know, I think it's almost universal. Like a lot of his tips, he's obviously from Germany. But, so he has a very European style, but he blends it very well with an American riding style. Like he, I, I just really like his style as a clinician. I learned a lot. The clinic was well attended. I feel like he had a, a really interesting group of riders from different backgrounds, but he he's just an interesting instructor who can kind of handle any situation. So uh, I, I know we asked for you know more questions for mailbags in our Facebook group recently, and a lot of the questions had to do with you know crooked riding exercises and and different riding specific ideas. So I thought maybe we could just talk about that today in this segment, which uh, this segment is presented by Arena Saddles. So the first thing I learned um, from Ronnie was that I am a very crooked rider, which is something I already knew going in. I, I'm just, I am a left dominant person, which is really interesting because I'm technically right-handed. So I don't know why I ride so dominant on my left side. I mean, do you guys have that problem? Do you feel like you have one side that you're stronger on than another? I feel yep. like everybody does. Yeah. And it switches. Like you work on it, you know, because you get better at it and then you swap sides. So absolutely. I think, you know, Doug and I always laugh because we are opposite sides. And then lately he's like swapped over again. So now we're like on the same side problem. But I think everybody <laughs> kind of always goes one sided or the other. Yeah. Or if you've injured yourself, right? Like, yeah. so I lately have been really left side dominant and I'm usually right sided, but I've sprained my right ankle like so many times that it just like, is so much weaker now. Mm. So that makes sense. So, so I'm like a, I'm a very left dominant rider and I don't know why it, it makes no sense to me. I haven't had like a major injury. I just, 
when I get nervous, it's like my emergency brake to pull on that, ins- you know, on my left rein. Like, and it makes my very sensitive thoroughbred very crooked. Like, it's very easy to see in a video when some of video videos me riding. Like, very clearly, I make my horse crooked because I get unsure or not confident in what I'm, you know, what I'm about to do or ask my horse to do, and I I crank down on that left rein. And Ronnie was very quick to pick up on that, even from our flat work. Um, and he just really made me focus on sending my horse forward, which is something that is also a struggle for me because I am a hunter rider and I want to regulate the rhythm. And by that, I, I try to micromanage my horse instead of just telling my horse to go forward and, and letting him go forward. I want to micromanage by having a, a, you know, having some contact on his face so some of my top takeaways from the clinic was um, letting my horse go forward and not worrying about a frame. You know, it's pretty easy to get my horse on the bit and and get him going. And Ronnie said something to me that really stuck with me was that he, you know, he goes to all these horse shows and he sees these riders, you know, get on their horse in the warm up and they're immediately cranking their horse's head down in the warm up to, you know, get them look like they're round when they're not round because they, can't, they haven't even warmed up yet. Right. They haven't moved forward. So that's something that I've changed in my warm up is just getting on my horse on a loose rein, sending him forward, getting him in a free flowing gait. And then once he's warmed up, asking him to come down on the bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, Just because it's something you don't really think of, you know, you get on, you think like you need, oh, everyone's watching me. I should get my horse in a frame, right? No, you should warm up your horse first. Yeah, they got to be in front of your leg. They got to be moving, not dallying along. Exactly. Exactly. So for my crooked issues, um, I just, you know, I I try not to have like a tight, like I'm, I'm a person who's hands on the reins slide all the time. Like sometimes I have more contact and I have shorter reins and then I let them, they like slowly get longer over time and it makes no sense. Like I want to give to my horse and then I never pick my reins back up. So he made me focus on holding my reins. So I had contact all the time, not letting go, not giving my horse any extra rein. But, um, when I, when I was doing that, like when I, was having a moment where I was trying to like grip really hard with that left rein, I would just send my hands forward up my horse's neck, you know, past the withers. So in order to get straight, I would put leg on my horse and send him forward into my hand. And then I would physically move my hands forward, which sounds pretty normal, right? Sounds like a very rational thing to do when you're riding. But for me, it was like trying to, you know, pat my head and rub my stomach at the same time. It was like the hardest thing for me to like, physically comprehend but once once I did it like five or six times I was like okay I feel the difference in my horse that's all it took right it just you needed somebody to yell at you and tell you let go with your left rein and so the clinic was two days uh the first day we just worked over poles uh and he set up some really interesting grid exercises which I will share in the Facebook group because I think they're useful to anybody no matter what discipline you ride and it was just all, it was all of the same basic things I've already told you, just getting your horse straight, getting your horse moving forward and maintaining a rhythm. And I think that is so important that like just those basic things, uh, it doesn't really matter what discipline you're riding. doesn't matter how big you're jumping. Those are the foundational things that you have to focus on in order to accomplish anything. Right. Are there, 
Do you guys have any exercises for, you know, when you're crooked, how you kind of like work yourself out of being crooked or left dominant or right dominant? Or do you have anything that you use that really help you like establish rhythm? So for the crookedness, the biggest thing is it's so weird because when you are crooked and then you get straight, you don't feel straight. You know what I mean? So it's very hard when somebody says you're straight now and you're like, there's no way I'm straight right now. Like, I don't feel like I'm straight because you've gotten adapted to being crooked. So, I mean, if you can find somewhere, even if it's ever so often to like ride with mirrors so that you can see it yourself as well, or have somebody like, especially like if your trainer's telling you you're crooked, have somebody video it. So then you can actually see, look, even though I feel crooked, I actually am straight once they're telling me X, Y, and Z. And a lot of that is, yeah, keeping your range short. So they're not getting in your pocket so that you, you know, sometimes people want to ride with them like in your crotch almost. That's and, me. Yeah, That's me too. <laughs> and so the biggest thing is, is I found these and I actually don't know who makes them, which is terrible. The tax store carries them. But they're these reins and they're rubber, but they're soft, but they have little notches. Uh, one of my students had them and they're great because her reins used to slip all the time. And I'm like, you need to get, she had these notches. And so she's like, look, I'm like, grab the second notch and don't, you know, if you feel that you're getting too long, make sure you're on that second notch so you can keep your hands forward and so that you are essentially giving to a sense Yes, I think I have those reins, uh, which they're super soft though. Like they're not the ones that are like rubber and then have the big notches that I've had. These like are really soft and like you can barely see the knots in them almost. So the ones I have are the ones we reviewed on the podcast a a while ago. It's the in-horse we trust reins and the notches are movable. Uh, You know what I mean? So my trainer can really move them. That's even better. This is where your hand should be. And I love them. I love them yeah. to death, but I'm still crooked in them. <laughs> but so, but if you're crooked and then, but if you hold those and you think that they're short enough, because a lot of times when you're moving them, you're moving them to get longer. And right. so I also put like a visual point. So, like our um, breastplates work like when they're jumping so that your hands are always up there, but also. Like we used to, I used to use like a neck strap, like an old school neck strap, just so that it was a visual point for me that I would remember to put my hands up that way. Because Mm -hmm. then I feel like the more you put them in your crotch, the more you're getting crooked because you're like almost hunched over and not sitting up and looking forward. Exactly. Yeah. No, it was really interesting. Um, what about, uh, what about any exercises that you like for regulating pace? So for me, you know, I have a horse who is pretty naturally rhythmic. Like when he picks up the canner, he's got like a smooth as silk canner, but for me, it's getting it, it's sending him forward. You know, like I always bury him at the bottom of the fence and Ronnie kept telling me, send your horse forward. He just needs to go forward. And, uh, like it, to me, it feels fast. But then when I watch the video, it doesn't look fast, right? So it's just um, reworking the the regulating in your brain on what you think is fast. Have you done poles on the ground, like in a big circle? And so we'll do two poles on a circle, and it can be a big circle. And then you do the same amount of strides on both sides. So mm-hmm. then you're making sure that you're doing the same. So And we'll do it adjustable, right? 
So you can do four strides to get to the next pole and then four strides again, or, you know, you can make kind of patterns about it, but there always have to be equal so that you're doing the same number of strides. You can do it on straight lines as well and be like, I'm going to get down the line in five strides. I'm going to get down the line in four strides. I'm going to get down the line in seven strides and play with that adjustability. So, you know, if you're actually picking down to it or if you're getting long and get, you know what it is, the poles will actually help you tell you. Absolutely. And so something that Ronnie set up at the clinic, which I thought was really interesting, is he set up a pole grid that were three triangles connected together. And I'll share a video because it's it's hard to explain in this way. But when you see the video, it'll make sense. And we used the pole grid the first day uh, of the clinic where we would trot in and kind of do like a bending line through it where you trot in and you have to trot out through a turn. And then you come back, you loop back around and trot in and trot out another another angle. And then we would canter in and canter out, but he'd have us canter in through the middle of the poles. So you'd go over the long side of one triangle over a long pole, and then you would have to canter out over where all the poles intersect to make a triangle. So it's like, you know, four poles touching in the middle and you'd have to canter out over, over them, which was the hardest, literally the hardest exercise I did all weekend at the clinic because I had to put my leg on to keep my horse straight through the exercise. And he had to have some momentum to get through it or else he just put his feet all over the place. Um, so it really forced me to focus on the pace that I couldn't let him back off. I had to push him through it even though we were only working on ground poles, uh, which was really interesting to me. So I'll share a video in the Facebook group so you guys can see the exercise and and how we wrote it, uh, which uh, was pretty neat for me. But what about tips for sharpening the aids? Uh, This was something um, someone asked in our Facebook group. Like, if you have a horse that you feel like you have to nag all the time to get on your leg, do you have any tips for sharpening those, you know, those specific tools to get your horse to go forward? I have one and I, I use it all the time. Um, and it's just using the long side as kind of like, um, I guess I use like the corners as my markers. Okay. And I'll just like collected canner in, and then I'll ask for a hand gallop and then, you know, by whatever letters next or whatever, like point I've made, I bring them back and ask for a slow collected canner again. Um, and I find that just doing that, you know, down the long sides on the short ends, you know, whatever you want to do that, I think gets not only, you know, the horse to listen to your leg, you know, and he doesn't want to, you know, suck back, but also, you know, it helps you guys to kind of get in sync, you know, like, oh, this is the aid I want for forward momentum. This is the aid I want for you to come back and collect and use your hind. So that actually, I learned that in a Bernie Tarek clinic, actually. And I think that's great for sharpening the aids. I like that too. Now, what about downward transitions on how to make a smooth one without your horse getting too far on the forehand? Do you guys have any suggestions for downward transitions? When I did the EAP, the USHJA one, Julie Winkle really got after me for this because my big Berkeley horse uh, was actually an Amish plow horse when he was a two-year-old. So his go-to walk is like this, it's the slowest thing I've ever felt (laughs) ever. Um, And so his instinct when you ask him to walk is just to really fall on his forehand. Um, And what she had me uh, do a lot was just, 
you know, really pick my hands up in that downward transition and make sure I'm going forward into it. Um, just like closing my leg, like, yes, we're going to slow down, you know, to the walk, but we're not going to lose all of our momentum and just kind of pull a Clydesdale and plop down on our front end. That makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Cause I think a lot with the downward transition, everybody goes to their hands for the downward transition and they forget about their leg and going forward into a downward transition. And that's one of the hardest things. So we do a lot where we just kind of teach the horse that if you squeeze your thighs and allow them to go down, but then you support with your leg, you know, your lower leg. So they keep going forward. The downward transition becomes easier. Interesting. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Uh, who's ready? So my Rose is kind of exciting. Um, the little halflinger three-year-old that I have in training right now, um, we're going to our first horse show in Ohio. So it'll be his very first mounted horse show. Um, he's already won a couple like breed specific shows for like in hand stuff. Um, but this will be his first time competing actually with someone on him. So that's exciting. I'm both nervous and excited. Um, it's kind of tough because like I, you know, I ride alone a lot and I am lucky if I can get my boyfriend to come ride, you know, with me and he is doing well with one other horse, but this class should be like 50 strong. So we'll see how he does. <laughs> a little nervous about that, but I think it'll go okay. Aww. And my, th <laughs> my thorn is that it's hay season. So I, I work with my neighbor and we, he's got about like a hundred acres of hay field. So in turn for helping him get hay for winter for his five horses, he lets me, you know, pay at a discounted rate for um, my guys. And I just, I hate hay. I hate throwing hay. I hate stacking hay. Everything about it. My arms are all cut up. You know, you get hay splinters. It's not a fun time. And my boyfriend loves it. So then when he's happy, it makes me even more frustrated because I'm cranky and he wants to laugh and have a good time. <laughs> what about you guys? Because uh, we've made people sit and wait for this special news the whole episode. And so they got to wait to the, almost the very end. But I was um, going to say, are you going to have surprising news too? No, you get you get the big <laughs> surprise. So uh, my rose is that uh, this weekend I get to hang out with Glenn and Jimmy from the Horse Radio Network. Nice. They are going to be in town in Sarasota. And we are... Um, in true heels down happy hour style, we're going to do a uh, a tiki boat cruise, but it's literally it's not even what you think. It is literally a boat cruise where you're sitting at a tiki bar and it's a circular little tiki bar and there's like eight seats at the bar and that's it. That's the whole boat. And then we go I think out I've in the seen water. Those on the internet. Yeah, I'm really so excited. Much fun. So I get to finally meet Jemmy in person and hang out with Glenn and meet some of the other hosts. Uh, hosts from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm just excited that they're here and they're so close, uh, and that they invited me. So I'll make sure to take lots of pictures and post them on the Heelstown Mag Instagram account <laughs> if you guys want to follow along. Absolutely. So, and then my ro or then my thorn, uh, which is kind of not really a thorn, but it's a thorn for my bank account because I just bought a brand new old. Well, Brand new to me, dressage saddle, but I bought it from a Heels Down Happy Hour listener, Sarah, who I just happened to see. She listed this saddle for sale, and it's gorgeous and beautiful and just happens to fit my horse perfectly, and I'm so excited. So 
which just shows the power of our Facebook group because I bought a saddle from somebody who's in our Facebook group, which is so cool to me. <laughs> so that is Perfect. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you, Jess? So mine is, I'll go with my thorn first. So my thorn is that everybody is getting excited for Lima and I can't go. So that is my thorn is that everybody, it's going to be fun though. Like my mom and dad are going to support Doug. The owners are going, um, it'll be a lot of fun, but I can't go because I'm pregnant again. So that's my rose. So, (laughs) and this time we're having a baby girl. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. So Hudson's going to get a little sister. So yeah. So I'm only like 15 weeks. So not too far along, but super excited. So of course it's, you know, whatever, it's fine. But with the Zika and everything down in Peru, it's just not worth the risk. And so and Hudson probably shouldn't go as well. So we are going to stay at home and cheer for Doug and Ginge on the way to go to Pan Am. So it'll be fun, but we're going to have to watch it on the TV. Holy moly, pain baby number two. Pain baby number two. So exciting. So exciting. So exciting. So it'll be so much fun. But yeah, my my thorn is that I can't go. So that's kind of sad. Have Aww. you tried to explain it to Hudson yet? Uh, yeah, he has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think he thinks I'm crazy. I mean, but I think he looks at me like that a lot when I'm explaining things to him. And I'm like, are you ready for a baby? And he goes, no. And I'm like, Aww. do you want a carrot? No. Do you want a cookie? <laughs> no. And I'm like, oh, okay, Sue, all of it's no. Like, you don't want anything. Okay. So I'm pretty sure he's like, once my belly starts getting bigger, he's going to be like, what is that? What is happening? <laughs> and then when she pops Aww. out, he's going to be like, no, no. No, put it back. <laughs> so I think he's going to be in for a big surprise, but no, I, I can't wait. It'll be a lot of fun. So they can grow up together pretty close in age. Because this one's due January, she's due on January 7th. And for all the listeners, Hudson is a Christmas Eve baby. So my guess is she's going to be New Year's Eve so I can spend another holiday in the hospital. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm like, I bet Hudson wasn't early. So, I mean, I doubt she'll be early. But I'm like, you know what? Just, it's probably going to be Christmas Eve. I mean, it'll be Christmas Eve for Hudson and New Year's Eve for the new one. So I just laugh. Oh, still fun. Cleaner water helps horses stay healthy. Fully hydrated horses perform better. They have higher feed efficiency and they're less prone to colic. To learn more about Richie Industries automatic waterers line of products, go to classicequinebyrichie.com. All right, guys. So we have a really interesting mailbag this week from Ashley in the Heelstown Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. Uh, and Jess, I feel like this is probably best for you to take. So Ashley says, I feel like I need an eventing dressage bit guide for dummies. I always get so worried and confused over what is legal and what is not. Obviously, plain snaffles are legal and some mall mouths are, but some aren't. Some single jointed bits are, but some aren't. Um, I'm pretty sure I what I use is legal, but I feel like every few months I'm worrying, oh no, what if it's not? So Jess, as someone who's in the eventing world, uh, do you have any advice for Ashley on how to pick a legal dressage bit for eventing? So the hardest thing is, is it does keep changing and everything, but for the majority of it, like a big, it just depends on your horse. So if it's a normal 
like bit that's in the program already, like in the Omnibus or online or wherever else that you can find it. If you can see the drawing of it, then it means it's legal. And so if it's a pretty generic bit that you know is legal, then we're pretty, like we use a lot of uh, loose ring snaffles that are plain and nothing special about them. Normal size, like not too thin, not too thick kind of thing. We know those are no problem. We don't ask, but we have a couple that have thinner rubber ones that they started to question with the 14 millimeter rule that just came out that the FEI had passed. Now the USCF is um, taking to it as well. And it kind of caused an uproar, I think mid season, like in, I don't know, March, April, somewhere in there, we were at a show and everybody's freaking out that the bits are too small. And these are not, I mean, it's a rubber bit. It's not a harsh bit at all. And so we actually took them all to the, either the TD or the steward, whoever's involved and said, look, is this legal right now? And before we even went to the dressage and that's the safest way to go. So if you have one of those bits that you think is in the gray area, then I would just, before you even tack up your horse, go ask in the office, can I speak to somebody that can approve this and just get it approved by a steward or a TD before you even start. And then you don't even have to worry about it. Then they go to bit check and you know, you've already talked about it. And then that's the safest. And once you kind of have gone through, if it's a gray one, you might have to do it at quite a few horse shows, unfortunately, but that's what we do. If we have any kind of questions, we just ask ahead of time. If it's a bonnet question or whatever else we do it at the very beginning. So we don't worry about when we get down to bit check. That's a good idea. So if you have an email or if you have a question for us or that you would like us to answer on the air, you can send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or like we've said many times, you should join us in our Facebook lounge, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour podcast lounge. We have a ton of fun there. We share cocktail recipes. We ask questions about horses. We just gripe when we need to gripe. Uh, It's a really supportive group. It's the best. You should join us. So if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Brief at bit.ly slash hdbrief. And if you love this show, please write us a great review anywhere you listen to it on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google Play. And many thanks to this week's partners, Arena Saddles, Ice Horse, EIS, and Classic Equine by Richie. All right, guys, that's a wrap. So uh, I feel like we need to cheers specifically to pain baby number two. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.